0: the man of will breaks all boundaries
1: as above so below magic of come to realize is a new
2: way of seeing our own world something divine truly does exist
1: you're listening to the culture shock podcast with your host dave oscuro
2: good morning everyone thank you for listening to another episode of the Occulture shock podcast my name is dave and today our host is one of my dear friends. Um, Sabrina from The Pleasure Method has joined us to talk about her experiences as a stripper, sex worker, a uh, sexologist, a somatic educator, um, and a certified love coach. And and I thought that she does an excellent job of bringing some perspective that I don't always think we hear um, as it relates to sexuality and as it relates to sex work. And I think oftentimes we're sort of Led by a narrative that comes from sources outside of that world, so it was really great to hear someone who is really immersed in this world of sex education speak about some of the the things, maybe some of the things that we don't always consider, um, some of the um, misunderstanding of terminology, some of the misunderstanding in the terms of the of the kind of affection and touch that we need. It was a very enlightening conversation. I think uh, it's a must listen to anyone who uh, maybe feels like their corner of the universe doesn't really provide the kind of education that, or knowledge that they're looking for as it relates to our sexuality. So thank you so much uh, for being so gracious with your time, Sabrina. And without further ado, our guest sexologist, Sabrina. Really excited to have you on the show. You're, you're a person whom I met, oh, what? It must have been, what, 2016 when we met? Was 2017 it feels maybe like
1: it's been a long time actually um, a but, lot has um,
2: happened <laughs> in the world right. in general
1: I know right but um, yes I think it was 2016 yeah
2: yeah and and in that time like we mentioned so much has changed um, in the world obviously uh, and within our own personal worlds I mean I, I would say that I'm in many ways a completely different person. In the last four or five years, than I was then, um, I'm sure many changes have occurred to you. And, and one of the reasons why I want to have you on the show is because, like I was telling you before we started recording, like I think you have such a fascinating story. You have really, you. you know, delved into all kinds of really unique spaces, and um, and and you, you you really embrace each aspect of your life and. Um, and own it, and I just would love to share that with folks, so I don't know where to start exactly, but I guess we could just kind of start with where you're at now, and kind of how you got here.
1: Well, first, I'd like to preface it by saying that um, you have changed a lot over the years, and you're you're still the absolute most delightful person. Oh, thank You you. Sometimes people change, and you kind of don't, like, things don't um, don't agree. And, yeah. um, so there you go. You're just as lovely as ever. <laughs> I appreciate it. I
2: try. I, hopefully my changes are for the better. That's what I aim for yeah. a little bit better today than I was yesterday.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, Ooh, I think we met, I think we, we met online bonding over like Danzig pencils or something, which
2: is the most unique <laughs> way to meet someone. Right. I, I think you posted a photo uh, on your Instagram of like these Danzig pencils and, right. and I just commented, like, those are super amazing. That's so cool. I've never seen those before. And then from that simple interaction blooms a, a friendship.
1: Right. Um, you came to one of my, uh, my classes. You participated mm-hmm. in that. And um, were a steward of some of my most precious possessions for a while. So, yes. yeah, it's definitely... Um, Things have changed since those days Um, when I was featuring. That was towards the end of my tenure at Foreplay as a feature. And um, I had just started on the journey of becoming a sexological body worker Mm -hmm. and a sex educator. And um, yeah, so so much changed in the area of you know i was i was stripping and featuring and i love i love being a stripper and i love mm-hmm. being a sex worker and i love saying i'm a stripper and i think it's funny because sometimes I mean, I don't know if you can tell. Do I look like a stripper to you? I don't know if I do or not. Uh, you what know, does I. A stripper look like.
2: <laughs> I, I, in my experience, everyone, you know, you, you never know what someone looks like or doesn't look like. I think people have this perception of sex workers or, or strippers. Mm-hmm. You know, like what they see on television, and it's usually um, very sort of Barbie esque. You know, the blonde hair and and what have you. Uh, but but there's no real, you know, just like any profession, there's there is no code. For, for one particular profession or another. Everyone enters into different wor- lines of work for various reasons and, and from various backgrounds.
1: Right, and I always feel that people are a little bit um, taken aback. I don't wanna say alarmed, but surprised when I just say, yeah, I'm a stripper. Um, and I think, do I not look like a stripper? Do I not sound like one? I don't know, because what does one sound or look like anyway? Right. Um, but you're right. I've always really embraced what I've done and been really proud of what I've done amongst um, having a little bit of internal internalized negativity mm. about being a sex worker, about being queer identified, about, um, <clears throat> I don't want to bring in like the race thing yet, because that's a whole other conversation. Sure. And I don't. Um, I only experienced racism recently, so that we'll kind of leave that to the side, but, um, but you know, my parents have seen my show and my gauge was always, if my mom walked in right now, would she be embarrassed? Right. (laughs) And, um, and so that's kind of how I've always done my show. And, um, it did get a lot, a lot more risque over the years, um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's like today I'm a, I'm a certified sexological body worker and a sex educator working towards my um, uh, bachelor's in psychology. with a minor in LGBTQ studies. And, um, you know, I find myself in this really unique situation because I'm also a massage therapist mm-hmm. and they're two separate businesses, but right. there is overlap and I work in trauma remediation, um, a body-based trauma technique called somatic experiencing. Mm-hmm. And right now is un- a unique period in time because I get a lot of calls for massage mm-hmm. and half of those people, 99.9% are male, males and you know, male identified. And about 75% of them ask me if I'm a, an erotic massage therapist. And um, I say, no, I'm not. It's actually that's illegal in the state of California. But if you're having challenges with their sexuality or um, need some education, please visit. And then I send them to um, the website for the, um, the ACSB, mm-hmm. which is the association that oversees our work as, um, as sex educators. And um, I advertise on Craigslist for <laughs> massage. And my girlfriend said, try it out. And I'm like, no way. I'm going to get a right. bunch of psychos. You know, that Craigslist has a negative connotation. And so I gave it a try and was in both cities, LA and Sacramento, instantly booked full schedule, turning people away. It's just so many wow. people. There's such a need for massage. And out of those people, like I said, a large majority want erotic massage. And then I get to educate them on the laws. And mm-hmm. then I get to educate them on um, sometimes toxic masculinity or um, hostile sexism when they come at me in a way that I don't appreciate. Right. And I very um, neutrally without getting angry because I I love men. I love males. I love mm-hmm. people. And I particularly love um. I'm just fascinated by men right now because they are getting a little bit of a um, a slamming. You know, mm-hmm. the feminist movement has been um, for a while and it keeps kind of reinvigorating and reinventing and there are different forms of feminism. And I mean, I guess I'm a feminist um, working at the intersection of race and sex and class and very much into um, the marginalized communities. Mm-hmm. Um equality but i don't think that the pendulum needs to swing in the direction of slamming men
2: right men the men are trash equal. movement
1: right i don't subscribe to that oh, i get the chills when i when I say that well, um
2: it, it's interesting that you that you approach um when you know because there are a lot of men who um grew up in a society and i don't think this is one of the things that's talked about much where we're there is an entitlement around sexuality that I think that occurs. Um, And I think most people, and I notice this a lot with the younger generation, they'll look at porn or they'll look at sex work or stripping and they'll say, well, that's why men feel entitled to have ownership of sex over females or female fronting. But I actually feel like it has more to do with advertisement. Um, The stuff that we kind of just take for granted, you know, if you go to um, Carl's Jr. to get a burger, there's like a bikini model. If you go into the mall, like there's all kinds of sexy, alluring images. And I think that when you take sexuality outside of sort of a sacred or a shared experience and you move it into the world of commerce for something else, right? Not having the autonomy of, of commerce within the realms of sex, but like you use it to sell widgets, uh, shoes, burgers, cars, whatever, It's easy to conflate that it's just another transactional thing versus an actual experience between two people. And I think that's really amazing that instead of just being angry or letting it jade you, you know, any negative experiences that you may come across, that you actually take the opportunity to educate young, you know, men, I don't want to say young men, that could be of all ages, of what they're maybe consciously or unconsciously participating in. Which then opens a the door that maybe they would learn, and I would reckon that a large number of those folks never had that conversation, never had someone say to them, "Let me explain how this all works. Let me explain this, what this is." And I don't know what your experience is in terms of their reaction to that. I'm sure it's it's it, you know it's a spectrum, but I think that is a a a more beneficial and virtuous way to approach it versus just getting on the internet and hashtagging men are trash and leaving it there
1: yeah you know and it it, i have to remember it's not about me so you know recently i had somebody to make a long story short because i don't want to give them a lot of attention Mm -hmm. i had somebody contact me and i said okay i'm not neurotic massage but i was very interested in their approach Mm -hmm. and i said do you mind coming on you know zoom and and talking for a little bit about being on craigslist and and you know in a non-judgmental way, why did you find it appropriate to ask somebody advertising for massage? And I used a very professional, like a Sac State picture of me on the university. There's mm-hmm. nothing sexy about my web, my webpage, at least not that webpage for massage. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he said, yeah, I'm happy to. So we talked for about an hour and he was very engaging and he shared openly. And there were some things that really surprised me. I said, well, how do you, what was your intro in, introduction to erotic massage and now granted some of this could have been a lie I don't know but he sure. said well I was getting massage and the woman was wearing a a low cut top and I thought interesting um and apparently that's a signal which mm. was kind of like oh no let's not get into the hole with what she was wearing thing you right. know because sometimes we're hot And we want to take off our, like, I wear like a a polo shirt when I massage people, but sometimes I get hot and I'll wear this. Yeah. And so I thought, well, that's interesting. Cause in his mind, it was a symbol that she was going to touch his penis. And he said, well, a licensed massage therapist just started coming on to me saying, Ooh, do you want to have some fun? And I thought, well, if that's true, that's totally not okay. That's a major breach of boundary for our Mm -hmm. profession. Um, even as a sexological body worker, it's all about consent and permission. You would never right. come on to somebody or touch their genitals without explicit permission and a conversation before the session starts. But okay, so uh, fast forward to now, he kept wanting to engage. And I kept saying, oh, I don't have time, which is true. I mean, you know how busy yeah. I am. It's There's a lot on the plate. And so finally, he said, should I stop contacting you? And I said, actually, yeah. I said, you know, I just, I don't have the time. So I went from being this very intriguing person that he kept saying, you're so intriguing. I want to know more about you to You're a cunt. Good fucking luck.
2: Wow. Wow.
1: And I was like, shake it off. And I realized that it's not about me. It's not about me, and I have to let some of this stuff because I do get abused sometimes by right. people. Yeah, I have to let it wash over me and realize I didn't. I didn't respond, of course. I right. just left it at that. And um, when people are open. I have clients right now that are lovely that that came at me with things like, Hey babe, hey beautiful. And I'm like, oh no, no, no. I, I prefer to be called Sabrina. Yeah. And then I explained, you know, and I explained why, as a professional, I expected to be treated like one. Would you call your doctor baby or would you walk in and call? Right. You know, and um And my sincere hope is that I don't turn them off and offend them, but that they'll engage in the conversation about how treating females like that could make them feel unsafe. Right. And if there's a history of trauma, that's another thing. And some people could argue, you know, Oh, you're, you guys are being too sensitive. And I'd say, well, we have a history of, of a lot of abuse and Mm -hmm. let's just leave it at that. Like I'm, I get it. You feel like you want to call people baby, but it's not always when we're together. Please just call me Sabrina. And then I'll talk a little bit about um, about sexism, a little bit about um, um, marginalized communities, a Mm -hmm. little bit about if you really want to get lucky with um, a person, a, a female in this case, maybe a different approach might help you. And let's let's unpack that. Let's talk about it. So I've been lucky because I have a few of those right now that were like totally not offended. Please let's jump into the conversation and they're wonderful, regular massage clients. Um, yeah.
2: I, I think there are people uh, who, who deep down want to have those conversations. I think that in the last few years, we've really, and I, I've banged on about social media, which I'm on just as much as anyone else, but um. It really has divided us in a lot of ways, and it has truncated the ability to have conversations. Um, I had a conversation yesterday on Twitter about something else, but in regards to like, oh, it was about the mask stuff, you know, like uh, people getting vaccinated and wearing masks and the sort of divide that's occurred there. And there was this feeling like I can't trust those people who don't want to protect me. And I understand that. But but where I feel like there's a breakdown is that those those deeper conversations aren't had. And I know, you know, you'll get those people like the first person that you discussed who, when, when they don't get what they want, they'll just lash out. But mm-hmm. I think there's also those other people who desperately want to have those conversations in a safe way that isn't accusatory, that doesn't make them feel like they have to apologize for things from their past but actually allows them to connect because i would imagine in at least some of those instances hopefully the majority of those instances where you're having these conversations the end result is a closer connection mm-hmm. because that space is created not not a not an angry space but a yeah. but, but really like an open sharing and a very honest conversation and i think honesty is dreadfully missing from most interactions mm-hmm.
1: Yes, I will over communicate you to death, (laughs) you know, it's like, and, and I, and my clients know, it's like, I tell them that, you know, kind of moving on to the sexological body work, um, you know, we're entering more so than just a regular, I say, regular massage, like therapeutic massage to tissue and such, Mm -hmm. we're entering into a relationship, Mm -hmm. we're going to get to know each other. Sometimes we're going to make mistakes. Sometimes I'm going to make a mistake. And and I will tell you on the next session, you know what, I feel like I made a mistake. Right. Um, and I know sometimes you're going to say things or do things that, that we have to kind of examine. And I always say in the studio, you can say whatever you want. You can move however you want. You can be totally naked if you want. I mean, after, enough time has gone by and sure. people don't get naked on the first or second, usually the third session. And I never get naked. Um, but you can, you're safe here. I'm right. not going to judge you for the things that you have to say. And let's just, let's go deep into conversations about how we're treating each other. Right. And let's learn about our bodies. And it's, um, I'm so lucky because I feel like as a psychologist, excuse me, um, and I'm not there yet, I'm, I'm working on it. You don't tell people about yourself, right? Right. You're there to listen to them. And as a sexological body worker and even as a massage therapist, I'm looking to create a community and it's like a 90-10 rule. It's 90% about you. And I'm going to let you in a little bit to my experience Mm -hmm. because I want you to feel part of a community and part of like, you're here with me and I'm here with you. And um, I think it's really important. And um, I've been kind of playing around with that idea recently and also getting people together for group events for Mm -hmm. sexological body work. But but the work is very much a relationship. And um, just like when I was a salsa dancer, I didn't really even want to teach salsa at first, but people kept coming to me right. for a salsa dance. And I'm like, okay, so I, I got pretty good at it. And um, I have not a single female client. <laughs> They're all men. And I hmm. think, gosh, I don't have any women. So I've got to like awkwardly ask my friends, can I touch your vulva a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> Just because I need to stay in practice with handling vulvas. Um, and recently, I'm just getting a surge of people with early ejaculation. Really? And do, it's so- you, do you think
2: connected to the um, uh, quarantine and, and sort of being isolated for time or?
1: Ooh, good question. Um, I don't know. I don't think it's been, there hasn't been enough time and there hasn't been a lot of, um, well, there hasn't been enough time for any of the data. As a budding behavioral scientist (laughs) right now, I'm always like, let's point to the data, even though as we know, all of that stuff can be kind of manipulated by changing alpha levels and stuff. But um, I just got nerdy for a second. But um, it's interesting because I see these men come in and I see how, oh, I'm gonna get emotional. I forgot to mention, like, I might get teared up a couple times today. <laughs> um, and they're so dissociated from their body to the point where you can actually see it. You can see their mm. face moving and their head talking and down here is just dead. Their mm. chest and their belly is dead. And they're so dejected, they're, they're slouched over, you know? And And there have been people that have made them feel bad about themselves religion Mm. has made them feel bad about themselves Um, and you kind of might hear about it all the time well you know I'm I'm really Catholic and I think masturbation is bad but when and you kind of as a general idea but when you're sitting face to face with somebody and they're telling you that um, I, I don't want to get too specific even without names but well, they're telling you things like, if I touch um, a vulva, I feel so dirty. I've got to take a few showers wow. or, you know, my, my partner did, did some just really horrible things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm thinking, I want you to feel better. You deserve to feel better.
2: Yeah.
1: And the main thing I feel like is, is that people are just disconnected from their bodies. We don't know what's happening in our bodies.
2: Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting that you mentioned that because I was just um reading something in the world of of magic. And it was talking about how if you want to be a strong magician, if you want to be able to do workings in in the sort of esoteric world, you have to understand how the universe works and how different layers of reality exist simultaneously both in the greater macro universe and in within ourselves in the micro universe. So it's, I think there's an interesting paradox. I don't think most of us know our body. I mean, I, I was talking to my wife yesterday or the day before yesterday, and I told her what my mom's uh, sex talk with me was. I, I was um, maybe in sixth or seventh grade, you know, whenever, whenever they get to that point in science class and you have to bring the permission slip home and the parents have to sign off on it, that they, that they, um, they give consent, right? Now, up to this point, I, I was exposed to porn way, way too early in my life. And so I knew in the functional sense, what happens, but again, that's not really the blueprint for how you should define your sexuality. Um, So I, I, I had this sort of knowledge, but, but outwardly facing, I was still pretending I had no clue because just didn't have that comfort level of having the conversation. So my mom's conversation with me was okay, they're going to teach you all the clinical aspects of sex. Um, here's my conversation with you. If you get a girl pregnant, don't come to me for help. And the, and no. she was being slightly glib, but that was kind of really what ended up being the extent of the conversation. Uh, much later, we could have deeper conversations. But at that point, she was just kind of making the point, but but never got deeper than that. Never really got um, any more invested in how to treat a woman, how to treat yourself, anything like that. We were raised Catholic, so there was I very very uh distinctly remember a period of time where even like self-exploration was would have would have carried guilt if I mm-hmm. openly expressed that. And I think a lot of men and women and and everything in between don't really ever get a true understanding of our bodies, what is okay. Um how to pleasure ourselves, how to pleasure other people, how to just be comfortable with the varying differences in our bodies.
1: Right. Right. But yeah, I think that um religion and self-pleasure, that's a big thing that comes up a lot. You know, mm-hmm. I was jerking off in the bathroom and my mom came in and was like, <gasps> and all of a sudden shame was just buried for years. And, <laughs> or it was like, What are you doing in there? Get out of there, so. I
2: I got a lot of that as a kid.
1: Yeah, so young boys learn to like, uh, by the way, I use clinical and slang terms. They'll use, um, they'll learn to masturbate or self-pleasure fast, they gotta come fast. Mm. And so fast forward to now being 25 and they have a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a non-gender binary person they're sexual with and they're coming fast. Right. And it, it it really does a number on on their psyches and their experiences as human beings. And it's unfortunate that sex education in this country is not comprehensive. It's certainly not inclusive, Mm-mm. right? And it's, it's mainly, um, and, and it is getting better, but it does need to be completely revamped. Um, by law in some states, schools don't even have to legally teach accurate information. Wow. And um, in in terms of, I'm I'm like that crazy aunt to where I will send anyone I love the anatomy female arousal, right? So I did recently send you that book, you and your wife. (laughs) Yes, yes,
0: yes. It's coming in handy.
1: (laughs) Okay, good. Because a lot of the anatomy books were made by men early on, Mm -hmm. so things like vestibular bulbs and the fact that we have an erectile Mm network—like men, their erectile tissue makes their penis erect. And women, we have the same tissue that engorges with blood. And you know, I've been certified since 2005 as a love coach. I got my sex body, my sexological bodywork credential in 2017. And before 2017, I have a vulva too. I didn't even know that I had a rectile network.
2: Wow.
1: And vestibular bulbs. I had no idea. And it changed the way that I saw pleasure. It changed the way that I experienced pleasure. And um, I think that, you know, because of the kind of changing gears a little bit, because mm-hmm. of the Victorian era and the way that, you know, Husbands saw their wives as somebody to procreate with. I'll go have my fun with the hookers down the street but the wife procreation, it's P and V sex when I come sex is over and that has been carried through generation through generation and that's how a lot of us including myself I've been I want to say poisoned it sounds so dramatic but I've been conditioned that way to a certain mm-hmm. extent. I'm a sex professional. Um, And I still have to combat the idea that, you know, if, if I'm with a person with a penis and they have, have, they come, they ejaculate that it's not over necessarily. Right. And a lot of people don't have the awareness. They've never been taught. They've never been comfortable talking about it. And, um, and you know, the idea about being a sex coach is this. I may introduce things to you that are just way, I mean, way outside your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And With permission, over time, once we have a relationship, for example, you may say, okay, you know, I trust you. We've been working together for a while. While I never intend on having anal sex, I am interested in having um, my external anal sphincter mapped. Mm-hmm lovely let's give it a try and then they may say well, wow, that was really unique by you mapping my my anus I now know how to map the anus of my partner that I right. might stick something in but you know what in the long term in a place not for me on my body so I may have been stretched like a rubber band in terms of things I want to experience and then people tend to kind of just come back to what what they like with maybe a couple little extras right and I think it's just, um, I always, now after taking sociology class, I'm hesitant to say human nature. I'd get blasted by my professor (laughs) for that. But um, I think that people do tend to (laughs) stick around the things that are most comfortable and enjoyable. Right. Um, But it's good to open the mind and with a trusted partner or a trusted provider to step out of what's comfortable and learn some things.
2: Absolutely. It's almost um, in a way we could think about it like travel, you know, folks that were born in like a small town, for example, and they get very comfortable with the way things work in their state or city or whatever it may be. Um, certainly, if you were born in Miami, that'd be much different than if you were born in South Texas would be different than if you're born in Seattle and New York and so on and so forth. And then they travel, right? Maybe in late adolescence or as a young adult, they travel, they go to Europe or they go to Asia or wherever they may go, right? South America. Some with a culture completely different than their own and they experience that. And then they may still come back and just stay living in the town that they grew up in. But for me, I feel like you'll never truly know what you enjoy and what you love if you're not willing to, at least to some degree, expand and experience so that you truly know, like, this is this is what I actually like. This is what I believe in. This is what I uh, identify with, whatever it may be, right? Whatever that, that knowledge and really secured knowledge comes from experiencing things that you may only experience once or even in a perfume, but you get enough from it to know, I like that or I don't like that, but I know I like this. And that's the only way, you know, we could use a billion different metaphors, ice cream flavors, whatever it may be. You have to kind of know right. what you don't, like and to know what you do like
1: right exactly and you know on that end as a sexual partner you may meet um the person of your dreams and they may be into some light bondage and if you don't know anything about bondage you'll have probably one of a handful of reactions and i think the first two common ones are no 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 way or oh let me learn a little bit Mm -hmm. but if you've already read some stuff about tantras and stuff about power plays and stuff about, um, you know, rope bondage or anal sex or or things that aren't kind of like the vanilla sexual experience, Mm -hmm. you'll be able to A, understand a little bit better because as familiarity with things that aren't in our immediate circle increase, Mm our biases tend to uh, decrease. Mm -hmm. um, Although some would argue that's not always the case um but then you can greet your partner with an with an understanding and a calmness you know um could you imagine being um i've seen this before it was so sweet when i worked in the dungeon at passive arts um bless uh, john levine's beautiful soul he passed away he was the owner and his dog dakota um there was a client that would walk in he was a very powerful man you know mm-hmm. powerful in the sense that he had the education he had the resources he had the the, the job, the highly you know, um, uh, prized job and he never told his wife that he delighted to be dressed up as a, as a woman
0: mm. and
1: paraded around the dungeon and he was so proud of himself and his heels and his smeared up lipstick <laughs> and he just said there's no way I could tell my wife. She would never understand. I don't know if that's necessarily true or not but if you can open yourself up to different perspectives, if you meet the person of your dreams and they tell you something that's a little bit different than what you're used to, mm-hmm. at the very least, you'll be able to have an understanding and not a big reaction that elicits shame. Right. Because sometimes even that one conversation where somebody has a reaction can cause a little, a, a little trauma for many months, if not years, until it gets cleaned up and repackaged. So
2: right. um, Well, I think also we, you know, to go back to the sort of sex education, um, not just clinical, but in general, we're not really taught how to have sex or how to enjoy our bodies in any manner. Um, and so I think we supplement that education be, it, you know, nowadays online or through your friends or the locker room or whatever it may be. And um, for something that is in, entirely necessary for the human species to continue onward, right? At very minimum, not to mention the fact that there's pleasure and connection and deeper interrelational uh, bonds that can be formed, it's such an important aspect of our life that it is—it's wild to me and kind of sad to me that there's no higher education readily available for in most for most people. They're just—they don't have access to so many people want to explore or um, investigate parts of their sexuality or things they enjoy. And like in this example, there's very few safe spaces for them to do so. One of the things that I've started noticing, and I know that you're not on social media too much, which is awesome, um, but I've seen sort of a line of uh, a younger generation, and I'm painting with a slightly broad brush, but a younger generation seems to really be swinging back this other direction where I feel like when I was a young man in the 90s, we were moving towards more sexual expression, more openness, like um, accepting LGBTQ plus and um, kink and uh, things that in a younger generation maybe weren't talked about, weren't as open. These things were starting to come out into the mainstream. And it does feel like there's a, like you mentioned earlier with your conversation about feminism, there might be a swing the other direction, wherein even women who who openly say, I enjoy kink or bdsm are being told that that they're accepting trauma and abuse even in consensual parameters
1: okay (laughs) (laughs) so as as an lgbtq minor right i'm that department is part of the women's department right Mm -hmm. so um sometimes it can be a sticky conversation when my classes are um like we did uh women sex and gender in south asia last semester and a lot of the same people who also have the same minor mm. um, are in there. And we've developed friendships and an understanding because yes, I've been people have been horrified at the idea that I could be a feminist, be for equality, and also be a submissive. Right. You know, um, professionally and relationally, you know, in the bedroom. I mean, there's mm-hmm. some people, their lifestyle and all that kind of stuff, and and that even has various, there's a broad A definition of even what lifestyle is 24 seven everyone has a different agreement Mm -hmm. but yeah it was like um people were horrified to think that there's freedom and pleasure in being dominated and it's like no you can be a feminist and still like to be dominated in the bedroom Mm -hmm. and so yeah yeah i i haven't seen it on social media but i have seen it in my college classes and i felt a little bit judged to be honest you know yeah. um bdsm power exchange hasn't necessarily been proven to be therapeutic mm-hmm. if you look at the lit like the literature right mm-hmm. although a lot of people that practice power exchange, BDSM, find it therapeutic. Hmm. And I would argue that a lot of my clients that came out of the dungeon, I did a little bit of switching in the dungeon, um, Mm -hmm. primarily subbing, would come in one way and leave another way, you know? And being in a space where you can tell somebody, you know, certainly in the dungeon, we are not therapists, you know, we are working sex workers, but people tell you their most intimate, core erotic themes. In some cases, they're, they're deepest, in some cases, darkest. Um, um, I don't want to say secrets, but but desires. Mm-hmm. And I think that can be pretty freaking therapeutic. Yeah. When you have a place where you're not going to be judged. You know, I mean, I could tell you some stories of things. And I was talking to my girlfriend the other day, and she's like, I blocked that out of my consciousness. And I said, <laughs> we did that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, we did. I can tell you some stories. Um, and looking back those people had a place where they could be themselves right without judgment. So I would argue that um, that it can be therapeutic and I would also say that yeah, with a wrong partner and the wrong circumstances with potential attachment um, insecure attachment issues, it could be traumatizing
2: Well and that's why I feel like, more spaces that are being led by professionals that are really providing space in a safe manner can allow folks to work through some of those things and explore and and be um, and have supervision for lack of a better term, guidance maybe is a better term um, to explore some of these things so that they don't manifest themselves in negative, potentially dangerous manners, be it to um, your partners or to, to oneself.
1: Absolutely and I think um, I think that um, for example, I had a, um, a regular client um, in LA who he had a rape fantasy mm-hmm. and um, it played out the same way each time and um, up until the part where there is penetration because obviously there's no sex in the dungeon um, in a professional dungeon. and um, some people had a problem with that. And a lot of us said, I would rather him come in here, go through the exact same. It was the exact same scene. You had to memorize the script. Mm-hmm. It's a good thing I liked acting. That was kind of fun <laughs> too. And you said exactly what it, what what he wanted you to say. You did the thing. You put up a struggle, and then it was like end scene, and then he would jerk off. I'd rather that than him go out into the world and scare somebody, and heaven forbid, harm somebody. Right. You know, so. And some people say you're encouraging that behavior. I don't know. I'm not. A, I'm not a psychologist. I can't really speak on that for sure. But um, and I don't know where that person ended up in their life. Right. But at the time, it felt really appropriate. You right. know, there was another guy that had um, a thing. Well, I don't know if I want to say this given today's climate. I'll say it. Um, with guns, mm. he, had a, he had a thing about guns. He would come in with a fake gun. He was a longtime client and we knew the gun was fake and um, he played and that was part of his scene. Mm. And um, again, some would argue that you're encouraging um, deviant behavior. Some would argue that you're helping somebody get their shit out in a safe, secure, monitored spot. Right. You know?
2: Well, I think the one thing that you could certainly take away from that is that um, you mentioned earlier the data right we don't have nearly enough data on these things and we can't have data on any of these things on what is actually good or not good and unless we explore some of these different avenues of uh, letting people have manifest their desires in a controlled environment i um i was on a podcast yesterday a different podcast and they were asking me about horror movies right and why horror movies are so popular and and i espouse that the reason That they've traditionally always done very well especially in hard times is because they allow a safe expression of fear to be felt and then you know 90 minutes or two hours later you you can leave it you can leave it there right it's almost like shedding a part of yourself it's it's leaving that part of yourself behind that part that that sort of needs to experience fear which is a normal human trait you can watch this movie, you know you you know deep down you're safe, but you can have those feelings and then you can leave it in the theater and you can go back home and you have had that cathartic moment. Probably people don't think of Friday the 13th in that manner, but for I think if you look at traditionally the way the trend of horror movies, it does parallel traumas that are happening in the real world. You know, when the atomic bomb dropped, you had a bunch of mad scientist horror movies. When you had um, the just say no of the Reagan years, you had... Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street where the young people were always being killed for sex drugs and being basically just normal young people. And so there's that mirroring there that can occur. And I wonder if if the more controlled sort of higher educations revolving sex were the norm and people felt comfortable going to them, especially at an earlier age, if it wouldn't help curb some of the atrocities that occur in real life. be them in the most extreme examples, or even just run-of-the-mill misogyny and and you know, like some of the people that you talked about earlier and the way that they addressed you and had certain entitlements and expectations of you because they've probably never worked through any of these issues.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wrote a manifesto uh, last semester. And when I share this with some people, I've heard some people say, that's just crazy. And I remind them, well, there was a time when black people couldn't go to college (laughs) and people thought having a black person in college or an African-American, I'm, I'm black. So I felt comfortable saying black, um, in college. Mm -hmm. Um, and now look at, you know, so things progress. My manifesto was about, um, well, first of all, I'm all for the decrim and legalization of sex work Mm -hmm. beyond that why don't we send people to school to get professionally educated on how to be a sex worker? Yeah. So you can learn all about anatomy. You can learn about the different styles, the different erotic arts. You can learn um, uh, different techniques on how to be with people in a way that teaches them, keeps them safe and allows them these experiences. And you can get funding for it. You can get a FAFSA. It's like, a, you know, all the things that, that I get being a psychology major, one could get to learn how to be a sex worker right? and um, you know, yeah. Well, I am tired of this beating down and ignoring the fact that we are sexual beings. I'm tired of the shame. I'm tired of. Um...
2: Well, and it's not like sexuality isn't being expressed. It's just for the average person who enters into adulthood, their form of sexual expression is going to a bar getting heavily intoxicated, finding another heavily intoxicated person and having a experience that they could barely remember, if at all, that doesn't mm-hmm. really serve either person, but gives you this momentary dopamine rush. And right. um, and I, I think I've said this before on the podcast, but I've definitely said it before in other places. I was, I think around after my, my divorce, for my first wife, I came to this really, I think I might've talked to you about this. I came to this really, profound realization that I had, I mean, how old was I then? 37 or something like that. I had for all my adult life had been connected my own personal validation with sexual prowess. You know, I had to either um, have multiple casual partners, or I had to, uh, if I was was in a monogamous relationship, I had to have like constant sexual activity at this that, that for most people would be like way, way beyond what they would expect and beyond enjoying it, because obviously I enjoy it. What I realized is that I didn't feel validated as a human being, as a person, as someone worthy of existence, unless I was constantly feeding the ego within sex, right? Specifically. And... Coming to that realization and realizing that I am worth more than just the number of partners I have or the amount of sex I have within a relationship, and that um, you know that whether I have sex you know once a week, once a month, once a year, um, my my wife and I were separated for an entire year, long distance, whole year, and um, it it didn't feel like it was in any way negatively affecting me. I mean, obviously, I missed her. But the more important thing is, is our, our connection was deeper than it had ever been, you know? And, um, and I think that that is something that a lot of men never even realize. They never even come to consider because they just, they just, they're in the, they're on the, the hamster on the wheel and they're just doing, mm-hmm. they're doing what they were taught. And like, if they're like me, who got exposed to porn when they were like six or seven, right. And, and, you know, has, have had other things occur to them in their childhood they may go their whole life. They may be elderly men even that just never, ever had that realization and the ability to change that. And if there were, if, if we approach sexuality, like we do other academic fields,
0: Mm -hmm.
2: not that in America, we, we really promote lots of academic fields, but let's say Mm
0: -hmm. that,
2: that, that hopefully young men, older men, women, non-binary folks would be able to get into a deeper, into deep touch with, how their sexuality works and how it is a part of them, but it is not the whole of their existence.
1: Right. Very well said. And um, I will say this, like I totally adored following the love story between you <laughs> and Jess. It was so much fun. <laughs> I'm so <laughs> cheering you guys on. i was so happy when she got, when you finally got here.
2: Well, we have a guest yeah. that is, that has joined us um, because I think you mentioned kind of at the top of the podcast, you have a performance, what might be maybe your last performance um, as a feature. But to get to this point, you had to go through some kind of hardships. You had an injury that you had to work through. Um, We're joined by Alyssa, who is your uh, physical therapist, if I'm correct. And can you talk a little bit about this process and like this sort of trek to what will be your your performance coming up?
1: Hi, hi. (laughs) Um, Go ahead, please, please. Uh, quick correction, I'm actually
0: a personal trainer and health coach. Ah. I am not a physical therapist.
2: Great. Thank you for clarifying that.
1: Although it's very therapeutic, um, and I don't have to see one because of our work together. Um, so yeah, I have what will likely be my very last performance as a feature um, entertainer for play and um, it's a very big deal to me. And... Um, I have had many injuries along the way, and I would say the biggest one has been I have a near full-thickness, uh, a near full-thickness tear of my anterior superior labrum in my left hip. Mm-hmm. For years, I walked with a limp that I didn't even know I had. My um, uh, uh, Joe Garrity, who was a T-Rex manager at Equinox at the time, said, "Hey, you walk with a limp?" And I said, "No, I don't." And he said, "Well, let's do a couple tests." I just started sobbing because I didn't realize the effect. I had literally no strength or function, stability in my left leg. And because I'm the choreographer, I just choreographed everything (laughs) on this side, right? Right, right. And um, so in the interest of time, and I really want Alyssa, Alyssa has been an instrumental. I mean, like without her, I would still have a limp. And, And I'm not being dramatic or extreme. I literally, because of our work together, um, can run around the block with my dog, can do a circus show. Um, So Alyssa, I'd like to kind of give you the floor to talk about um, whatever you wanna talk about in regards to training, stability, flexibility, um, all the goods.
0: Yeah, sure. So with Sabrina coming off of her hip injury and really working through it, it was important for us to worry really less about mobility, which is interesting because a lot of circus performers, dancers, aerialists in general, really, really focus on mobility, which is important mm. for lovely clean lines and you know all of the ways that make that art beautiful. Mm-hmm. But what is sometimes missed out on is the stability aspect. And so when I say stability, what I really mean is Allowing wanting, wanted movement um, Mm -hmm. while resisting unwanted movement. So basically you're making sure that your body is working the way that you want it to. You want to be in control. You want to figure out kind of what's weak, what's tight, what can help me. And so working through that stability allows your joints to have control over how much mobility you have. So that way you're not working into injury. You're really creating a supportive structure for your body. So Mm -hmm. when Sabrina and I first started working, her hips were on fire. It was like her hips were just holding so much tension, so much emotion that it was really challenging for her to even like get through the workouts. Um, So I remember one day in particular, we started moving through like some very simple glute bridges. So it was literally like laying on your back, lifting up your hips, coming mm-hmm. back down. And she just started crying like tears, just streaming down her face because it felt extremely vulnerable for her body just to move through that position because of past movement practices, styles, mm-hmm. you know, over and over mobility training um, and her injuries. So her mind wanted to do it, but her body did not trust that she could do it without there being any pain. Right. So slowly but surely over the last year, we worked up to a place where we can actually move through her hip flexors. And so one day I decided to go out on a limb and I was like, okay, we're gonna put these hip flexors to the test. It's been (laughs) a few months. Like, let's see how these bad boys do today. Um, so I programmed a hip flexor only exercise and Uh to give you a little bit of an idea what that means, I had her on her back and there was a band around her toes Mm. and then without moving her upper body or anything else, she bent one knee to bring to her chest back down and she moved the other one and then back down. Um, so hip flexors flex the knee or in regular people terms, it bends the knee, Mm -hmm. so In her case, adding additional resistance with the band was either gonna bring up the same emotions they did a month ago, months ago, or it was gonna show a ton of progress. So we were kind of like at this middle road. So as she started, I was literally like holding my breath. I was like, (laughs) okay, this is this is like the moment. You know, we've been waiting for this. And she did it, and then she looked at me, she goes, Oh my god. I love this. And we both just started laughing hysterically. Like it was a moment that we've both been waiting for for so long just to move through that pain.
2: Well, it's funny because we, we talked about this earlier, you know, earlier in the podcast, we've been talking about how in modern society, most of us um, don't have a real clear understanding or control or deep knowledge of the way our sexuality works um, and our experiences and what we're open to and what we're not open to. It would seem like, um, based on what you're saying, in a similar way, we as a society probably don't have a deep understanding on the way our body works um, and, and have much in terms of uh, control over it in a way that is, maximizes its efficiency. Uh, you know, just And it, built into lots of you know we've all heard about um, how bad it is to sit at a computer all day long you know, kind of what I call cicada position. You're sort of just hunched over like this. Um, I stopped wearing a wallet in my back pocket because it was hurting my hip because it, you know, it's an inch or inch and a half of raising one side versus the other side. And I I would imagine that um, for 90% of the folks out there, we just live with it. Like my wife's convinced I have a deviated septum, which I just went to the doctor for because my whole life I've had, it feels like I'm breathing through a straw. And I, you know, I'm 40 years old. i just lived with it because I've lived with it for so long until she finally made me go to a doctor. And he was like, yeah, you're not breathing as much through your nose as you are when, through your mouth, right? There's clearly a blockage. So we're trying flonase first and then probably have surgery or whatever it may be. Um, is that it your experiences too? Is your experience that a lot of people just don't really understand the way the body's supposed to work and therefore, especially with an athlete's will train in improper methods or what they think they need instead of what their body actually needs to function at a high rate.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that up. A really big part of my training style is something I like to call movement literacy. So you begin to understand what your specific body needs Mm. and then also how to take care of it. Right, so you learn kind of the mapping and you're like, okay, great, I understand what my body looks like, I understand how it's connected. And I do that through asking very simple questions when we're training. So for example, what are you feeling during this single leg deadlift? How is your body reacting to this squat pattern? Mm-hmm. What is happening in your knees when you do, you know, a push-up, even, even if they're not connected, I will connect them in your brain so you can start to understand. Because not only do we have muscles, bones, joints, we also have fascia. Mm. And fascia is a layer of, it's beneath our skin and it's connective tissue that connects every single muscle in our body. So no longer is the training style where you just do a bicep curl unless you're training Mm. specifically for aesthetics. Now it's really integrative, holistic training. So Mm. how is connected to your foot. Right. And so the more I can kind of talk about that and bring that awareness to my client improves their movement literacy. So the next time they come to the session, they can have the information and say, you know what, I was sitting for a long time and I realized it's because my wallet is in my back pocket and now my hips hurt. Right. How can I stabilize my hips? So we're not really figuring out, you know, step one now we can start our session at step three and really get to the target and the reason why it's happening and go from there.
2: That's amazing. And, and, and again, there's so many parallels from our earlier conversation, you use the term mapping and we use that conversation, mm-hmm. you use that term earlier in a different context but I think it, it, it illustrates a larger point that we are lacking um, a language to discuss our bodies. It, w- yes. it, would, be, it would be like if I were um, blind my whole life. And then suddenly I just read this summer um, suddenly there was some magical surgery that could give me eyesight and, you know, I'm the 40 years and I don't have it. It would take a long time to describe things because I just wouldn't have the language to describe what color is, for example, in a meaningful way or whatever, you know, different, you know, various shapes and sizes and things of that nature. You might hear them. And I do think we hear a lot of terms be them as it relates to sexuality or just physical fitness, but we don't understand them. We don't really have the, the deeper comprehensive understanding of how this language can be used. And therefore we often don't just, just don't use it. And, and therefore we just sort of live with things that if we could just introduce into our society the proper language to describe it, the thoughtfulness will then come, as you mentioned now you introduce that language. Oh, I realize it's that wallet. That's what's causing it. I I can start to feel these things. Now I can uh, accurately describe what I'm experiencing and therefore I can be guided to a better way, or if it's pain alleviating or whatever it may be.
0: Yes, exactly. Right. And I feel like to your point, there's such a huge disconnect between fitness professionals and the dialogue that they use, even in Mm -hmm. terms of terms. And then like the person who just really wants to, you know, understand their body a little bit more. So I'm definitely doing some of that work and bridging that gap, but I completely agree. There's such a long way to go.
2: That's amazing. And Sabrina, for you, um, because as you mentioned, this may be, it's been a while since you've done a, a featured performance, right? It's been maybe a couple of years, a few years.
1: Yeah. Four years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
2: So, so what is sort of um, what made you interested in sort of returning and And why is this going to be your last one? Is it just a time thing? Or do you feel like now that you're getting your body where you need it to be, you're like, I'm just going to give it my all and go out with a bang.
1: Well, it's, I mean, first of all, I'm I'm applying for grad school. So I'll be in a PhD program really soon. And um, doing the show is all consuming. It is what I love doing the most. It takes all of my cognitive space and thinking about it 20 percent of the music the costumes the moves the training and I can't do that and be in being grad school right. and right now like the theater survived foreplay fucking survived <laughs> and so I'm like let's celebrate the fact that foreplay didn't close during COVID and now is really the only time to make this happen And my friends, I have one fan, like, it's so weird to say, like, I've done this show for so long, and people love the show, but I have one specific fan. (laughs) (laughs) And he was telling me the other day, he's like, Sabrina, he's like, you can make time for both. And I just know in my heart, I can. Academia takes such a huge commitment, and I'll be a researcher and all that kind of stuff. And um, foreplay occupies such a huge space in my heart. I love that place. It's become and it has been like that lover that you just can't seem to quite get out of your mind and heart. And um, you know, that the owner passed away and that really affected me, Mm. affected my heart. And um, yeah, I just, I want to have a memory of my last show. I had to leave for play in a way that I didn't plan. Basically in short, what happened was I lost my nerve Mm-hmm. I lost my nerve to be in the air. And I kept thinking, you know, the more education I get, what if I fall and I hurt myself and I can't help people, right. you know? So I would drive around the block for like 15 minutes in tears and call in my manager and say, I'm not coming. And that happened three weeks in a row. And, um, I finally said to the bar mistress, I said, can you take down my aerial equipment? My my burger will come and unclip. And can, you, can I come pick it up? Because I knew if I walked into the theater and smelled the smells, I would be, Drawn right back into that thing that I love so much, but needed to step away from. So now I can have a memory of my final show, and I've been drinking in the entire experience from this conversation to conversations with people that I love that have seen the show to my coaches, Alyssa, uh, Coach Monica, um, Coach B put the rhinestones on one of my outfits. I'm just (laughs) drinking in every bit of the experience. Um, I'm looking forward to it.
2: Well, and, you know, um, I, I'm sure this might seem to some people strange, but um, being a featured dancer, being a stripper is, is very physical. Um, and and I would consider it athletic, especially what you. do. I've seen your performance and it's highly athletic. Um, not all athletes get to go out at the top of their game. You know, mo- not all athletes get to sort of retire on their terms you know, giving their best foot forward. If you look at other sports like boxing or combat sports, or whatever, you always sort of see people go a little too long. And, and, you know, um, and, and for you, you have something that you're going to that is going to consume your time and your energy. And like you said, is going to do good in the world. And this, you get the amazing opportunity with your body feeling maybe the best it's ever been, um, or at least having a deeper understanding of it to give it, give it, a sort of um, a a fair goodbye, and and really give something back, and then you can do other aspects of of your study and your research and your work, knowing that you you were able to retire or end your featured performance uh, uh, featured performance experiences like on your terms.
1: Yes, and my my most sincere desire is is that some of the performers will look at me and up their game
2: <laughs> They're awesome yeah that
1: they'll be like wow i i want to learn ariel you know that that place has it has a rig two points at one point i had my dance trapeze my Lyra, i also do fire mm-hmm. and now i'm just coming in with fire aerial pole and um and Lyra. Mm-hmm. but my sincere desire is is that the, the the ladies that are coming up or the women the the performer the people that are coming up behind me will say, I can be a stripper and you don't, and this isn't by any means, you know, being a a lap dancer is wonderful. And I'm not judging that at all or shaming it at all, but I can do this job and I can excel on stage. And, you know, it's like, I don't know how much time we have, but, but I'll end with this. Like, back in the day, <laughs> I mean, like, we dance. Like, my, my peers, Anne-Marie Davies, Anne Davies, um, there are so many people that I can't even think of in this moment that that give, put our heart, Jessica, which I don't even know her real name. I don't even know people's real names, so it's hard to name names. That just put their heart and soul into these shows. Yeah. And then after 2008, the economy changed, and people just needed to make money. And mm. And I get it. And I'm not shaming any of it, but I hope that people will see what I do and be like, man, I want to do that. Yeah. Mike used to say, Tabitha, that's my show name. You bring class to this place. (laughs) And that made me feel good. You know, you walk in, you see these big blazing fire fans and people go, I've never seen this in a strip club. I've never even been to a strip club. And look, there's somebody on a trapeze, you know, and um.
2: Well, yeah. and it's like you mentioned. There's there's different shades of everything. Some folks can, you know, no motivation is is uh, less worthy than the other. But I, I think you know a big takeaway from this conversation is that we have a lot a lot a long way to go with expanding our understanding of things. Um, be there our sexuality, our physical body, and, and thank you to Alyssa. She had to run, but thank you so much for her coming on the show. Um, and and the world of stripping. I mean, I, I think that people obviously still to this day have sort of a negative connotation at the very top of the podcast you mentioned how um, people sort of feel shocked when you say that you're a stripper as though they're not quite sure how to respond are they supposed to respond excitedly are they supposed to uh, uh, react like um, uh, feeling bad or, or, or quiet or sh- you know shush it all the away? And I, and I what I would hope is that when people step away from this, listening to this podcast and listening to your story, that what they step away with is, at very minimum, they understand that, that there's a long way to go for us to really understand that th- there's multifacets to everything. Stripping is a worthy profession. It is um, just as justifiable as working anywhere else. And the fact that there is nudity involved, or not, if one doesn't want to, because some places don't, um, it doesn't invalidate it in any way. And you can actually push the performance part of it, if you desire, to, to really create an experience that goes beyond just looking at the human form, but actually really taking in the all the amazing things that you can do within that sphere. You can combine, um, obviously, there's a sexual component to it, to some degree, there's sort of a, a, certainly a, a recognition of beauty, but you can combine that with performance and control. And when the body is nude, you're able to see truly how the body functions in various poses and athletic movements. Um, ESPN, the last few years has done this uh, body issue where they take athletes and they shoot them nude um, in various athletic movements, right? And that is championed. But I want to urge people Mm. to, to open their mind a little bit more and know that even in these areas that society has deemed not as um, appropriate, because we're sort of run by a puritanical government, that there is a world in which the human form can be celebrated with the same honor that you celebrate someone doing the Olympics or, you know, a prize fight or whatever it may be.
1: Exactly. Um, so exactly. And and to that end, I feel like it's important to quickly acknowledge the argument that 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 strip clubs uh, propel misogyny and sexism, whether it be hostile or benevolent forward.
0: Mm-hmm. There's a
1: good argument for that, because to a certain extent, you could come in, flash around a bunch of money. Oh, shit, rent's due. So I don't care how you talk to me. I got to pay my bills, you know. Right. And so in some cases, you're training uh, patrons to not respect performers, Mm -hmm. that happens. But right now, because there's so much talk about consent and permission, and I had a long conversation with my manager about this, a lap dance should be fun for both people, you know? So, So yes, it can train people to treat other people poorly, but it's also an opportunity to teach somebody how to touch hearts that you've given them permission to touch, Mm -hmm. and how, um, you know, to be with somebody and some people just want to hug. I've done I've gone upstairs to the hour, you know, long VIP back in my uh, lap dancing days, and just hugged somebody for an hour. My gosh, when people were coming back from from the war in Iraq, I sat with um, disabled veterans and just hugged them.
2: Right, right. So
1: people don't see that side of it, the people that are judging strippers, don't see that side of it. There's everything in that club. There's every spectrum in that club. And that's why I always say, if you don't know a sex worker, get to know one because you'll learn something. It's not what you think. And it is what you think. So have a chat with one of us.
2: And it's important to, to, um, while we want to, we want to hopefully remove some of the stereotypes that exist or some of the judgments that exist, we should also acknowledge that some of those things do occur. Exploitation, especially in late-stage capitalism or any capitalism, um, exists in every field. I just saw on Twitter this sort of a venture capitalist talk about how young people should work on weekends, right? Which, okay, so they're not naked but they're giving their time away, they're giving their labor away, they're being exploited in that manner and they don't get the hug but they're doing it for the money because the economy is bad and people have to do what they have to do to get by. We see this in every field, but but we've been conditioned to somehow believe that if it's um, a woman in control of her own, having agency over her own body, and and um, her using that on her terms, that somehow that's bad. But you know, working someone for well below minimum wage over a fry grill, right? Mm-hmm. You know, breathing in heat and chemicals and gas and whatever else, that's somehow, that's okay. That's just, you know, uh, a young upstart hard worker. But but if I take my clothes off and um, I also run the possibility of potential exploitation or being the re- on the recipient of some not polite uh, and not okay language, that somehow that is worse than being exploited and being subject. And anyone who's worked retail has been subjected to pretty harsh uh, language. And the only difference is, is what we're wearing. Truly in the end. Right,
1: Right. exactly, exactly. I mean, quite frankly, I would rather, if I'm going to be exploited, I'd rather make more money and be able to help my family than be exploited and make minimum wage. Um, And my best friends are strippers, the coolest people. A lot of my best friends have gone on to get PhD. One of my friends, and I can say this now, at Dr. Harris, she's working on her second PhD. Um, You know, it's like, and not everyone, it's not just about the education, but they've gone on to be artists. A lot of my friends gone on to be painters and seamstresses and, and parents, and they're just amazing people. And I feel the most comfortable and the most love and just this this space of just unconditional acceptance. I may not know your real name because mm-hmm. there are girls that I've worked with for years. One of my friends just had a baby and, um, I'm like, I literally, I've known you for so long and I can't remember if this is your real name or if if your stage name is your real name, you know? But it's not about the names, it's about the relationships. It's just, it's everything, it's everything, so.
2: Well, and absolutely. I I think that um, if we're going to bridge ourselves into this new era and into this new eon and um, transform our society for the better I, I think it's it will be us opening our minds to understanding that all folks are more than just whatever you've coded them or labeled them. And you mentioned earlier that a lot of this narrative comes from sort of Christian values, um, a specific kind of Christian value. I mean, certainly I'm not judging folks that are Christian or Catholic or anything like that, but, but certainly that plays a role in it, um, as well as just a general sort of need for control. And I think that if we really truly wanna be revolutionaries, we have to have a revolution that's in our mind and in our hearts. And that means accepting what we don't know, accepting who we don't know, and really being open to learning. And, and that includes, even if it might be slightly uncomfortable given the society that we've been raised in, that includes sex workers, and that includes um, uh, sex therapy and things of that nature, because there is what you'll find, and I hope what people are taking away from this, a, a rich tapestry of, things that we can learn from it and explore and better our own lives by opening our minds a little bit and being willing to go into some places that maybe society doesn't always support.
1: Exactly. And that should transcend through, um, you know, race is, can be considered a social construction, if you get into that literature, but mm-hmm. for the sake of the conversation, um, I'll say um, ethnicity that should go across ethnicity, class, um you know, get release. to know. Yes, exactly. Get to know people. We all have our biases, you know. And um, right now, I'm having to examine them in a really embarrassing way, which has brought up a lot of shame that I'm dealing with in my multicultural psychology class. Because you may be a person that's walked through your whole life not even knowing that you had biases until somebody pointed it out, and then you're like, "Oh shit!" Okay. Then you start examining your behavior. So, it, it this goes across everything, class occupation, um, ethnicity, get to know people. And I just can't stress that enough, you know, because if they we are 99.9% the same.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And in the end, I know it it it, it seems sort of um
1: hippie-esque.
2: Yeah, hippie-esque the say, but we are one crunchy? Yeah, a little crunchy, <laughs> yeah. A little bit crunchy. do <laughs> you know what? Like for my personal spiritual belief, and I know that we're coming close to our end of our time, but I truly believe that every single person is divinity from a different perspective, that in the end, we're all one source of life. And what we think is ourselves, what the ego is, is just divinity looking at the world from a different vantage point, but it's all one. And in the end, it will be all one. It began as one. It will end as one. Mm. Um, As we open our minds to this, um, and as we open ourselves to exploring some things that society doesn't necessarily promote or, or um, sustain, I think we open the opportunity of getting to experience the human, to have the human experience in a much more pleasurable and beneficial way.
1: Mm-hmm exactly you hit the nail on the head pleasurable we need to dive into our pleasure as well Not that i think kind of can yeah that's a whole other i could talk to you for like days well, we'll and all the stuff about your spirituality you're such a deep human being um um and i really yeah just it's a it's, it's a light to hear your perspectives
2: Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, and yours as well. I mean, I love your story and we'll have to have you come back. We didn't even touch much on spirituality, but that could be a whole nother podcast just in and of itself, but you do have your performance coming out. So I did want to kind of focus on that. So for those of you who are listening, um, this podcast will come out about a week before your performance. If you're in Los Angeles, why don't you let everyone know kind of when, where, who, your websites, plug anything you want people to go find you at, because uh, me knowing you has made my life better and i'm sure other people who would like to follow you or learn more about somatic or sex therapy or anything like that will have their lives enriched as well
1: thank you thank you so much um yeah so the the show is june 26th at foreplay it's in west la um foreplay and um the first show is usually around 10 30 um but usually it's different now i guess because of covid but but I'll probably go on at first at 10:30 and there'll be another show closer to two o'clock in the morning. And um, if you're interested in learning more about somatic sex education, my website is pleasuremethod.life and um, my Instagram account is Sabrina underscore just Sabrina underscore. <laughs> All my last names were taken so <laughs> Sabrina just Sabrina. and um, and yeah. That's it. That's me. I'm doing this thing and I'm so excited. (laughs)
2: Well, I'm excited for you. And, uh, and you are an amazing person. You're a bright shining star. And I think anyone who listens to this is going to pick up on that. Thank you so much for all the work that you're doing, the, the, the the passion and the love for educating people and for helping them come to terms with parts of themselves that they probably buried deep inside is very evident. I think you're doing really amazing work. God's work. Truly. And, uh, and, and hopefully we'll have you on again very soon. And we could talk more about uh, different aspects that we haven't even touched on yet. And I'll see you on the, uh, it's the 26th. Yes. Yes. I'll see you on the 26th. I'll
1: see you on the 26th. Thank you so much. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Once again, I want to thank Sabrina for being so generous and kind with her time. I think Sabrina has just such wonderful insights um, and education. When it comes to sensuality, sexuality, the body, um, how little we know about it, um, a, a real comfortable demeanor as it as it goes into talking about some of the um, you know trickier subjects that that are related to sex and the human body that are quite taboo and especially in the society are difficult to talk about without you know uh, the sort of a veil of shame surrounding it. Um, I again, we could have talked for hours, so I appreciate the time and I appreciate you all. I know there's a lot of options when it comes to podcasts. One of the cool things about modern day uh, technology is that anyone with just a little bit of gear can have their voices be heard and and share their stories. And today we got to listen and uh, listen to Sabrina's story. So thank you all. Once again, I appreciate you very, very much. Uh, And until next time, gold rings on you all.